Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan, and in for Amy this morning is former ABC7 political reporter and radio talk show host Charles Thomas. Charles, good morning. Uh, good morning, Dan. Good to be here uh, to hear some answers. So we try, as we yeah. try to give. Yeah. Uh, so, um, Tucker Carlson, uh, you were in the journalism game, as I recall. Uh, Tucker Carlson is still taking heat uh, as uh, we're uh, just T-minus, uh, what, um, about, 10 out, but my math, oh, yeah. about uh, 15 hours from the drop of his Putin interview. Yeah, I think it's sooner than that. I thought it was a, tonight, uh, right? Yeah, tonight. Well, tonight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You can, I guess you can. I've, I've been, you know, looking at uh, this Tucker Carlson network to which I have not subscribed yet, but I will as soon as I get in front of my laptop at home uh, today. Uh, he sold me. But I, I tell you, Dan, I if I was a crier, I would be in tears or near tears about the state of the profession that I decided to pursue over 50 years ago. Um, I can't believe the mainstream media's general reaction to what's going to happen tonight when this interview is published. Meaning the characterization of Tucker Carlson as some sort of propagandist who is conducting a, a, a psyop on behalf of Putin, not a journalist. This interview shouldn't be happening. You mean that reaction? Yeah, that reaction. I mean, <laughs> I think that journalists all over this country should be celebrating the fact that one of our colleagues has scored an interview with one of the most powerful people on the planet. And I'm hearing journalists, CNN, MSNBC, preemptively uh, calling uh, Tucker Carlson a propagandist. They haven't even heard the interview yet. And already they're, they're beginning to, 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 to question whether or not an interview such as this should be done. Of course it should be done. It, I mean, if it, it, we've, we've done it. Journalists have done it historically. We've tried to get both sides of the story. That is the essence of well, our profession. And well, or, or even even beyond that, when you're talking about uh, a bad guy, um, you know, the the, the journalist that uh, gets the interview with the dictator, pick your dictator, any dictator, because they've all more or less been interviewed. Um, the idea is to give the viewer or the reader a better understanding of what's happening, of what the motivation is, of what the ploys are uh, to, to help size up exactly what the threat is to inform 
sort of the public policy choices you would like to see made. I mean, that's part of it, right? Understanding the threat so you understand what the response should be. Well, Dan, uh, hopefully we're talking about the same thing. But to me, it's the whole of it. If you live in a democracy, we ha- we have to have the information. But, you know, I, I, but, but just to digress a bit, I, I thought when Tucker Carlson left um, Fox News that he was fired, released, whatever, I thought at the time, and I'm not, I'm no, uh, I'm not prescient, but I thought at the time that it, that was happening because of the Ukraine war and what he was saying and the voices that, that he was allowing to use his show on Fox, like people like uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor, right. who he would have as a guest. And you can't question Douglas McGregor's authority as a military expert. What McGregor was saying about Ukraine and the history of it and why there was a war, this was stuff that the mainstream media didn't want to hear. They weren't going to give, um, they weren't going to uh, allow to be, to be said and Tucker was doing it and I thought at the time that's why Tucker was let go you know let me ask you well I it's it I mean that certainly is um, a, a legitimate issue to raise that certainly could have been part of the calculus um, you know his biographer we've had on the show Chadwick Moore who wrote the uh, wrote the Tucker biography that was released last year um, said that it and, and Tucker has never commented on this Publicly, other than I, I uh, other than, uh, but but he certainly hasn't disputed what Chadwick Moore said, which is that Tucker firing was contingent on a settlement of that Dominion lawsuit. In other words, Dominion not only wanted seven hundred million dollars, Tucker Carlson had to be fired, which really? I find I find astounding. I find if that's true, and I'm not saying it isn't, but if it is true, as we talked about at the time, I just find that. Just remarkable because it completely undermines Fox News as a news organization. Uh, that you could have somebody threaten you with litigation, to, 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 to and and that drives your personnel decisions. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe that's part of oh, uh, the story. I, it could uh, maybe be part it's of part it, of you know the, the the change in leadership of Fox, and they tired of Tucker because of things like. Uh, platforming the Douglas McGregor's and people who disagree with the Beltway orthodoxy, you know, could be a combination of the two. But I just, you know, just just as an aside, it is interesting. But let me ask you this, too. You know, all all the time that you spent in uh, journalism, um, radio, TV, uh, print, and it just strikes me. It's always struck me, but more so now than ever. And I don't want you to. I mean, I, I'm happy to have you name names, but I mean, most journalists, present company excluded, are just not that bright. They they're <laughs> just they're just not that well read. They're just not that interested. They're just, I mean, in being in in other words, being intellectually curious. They're interested in a byline. They're interested in their visage on TV. They're interested in you know making cash and having status. And so you're going to go along with the political establishment and they don't think and they don't challenge. They just fold in. Right. Well, I think you when you watch television and I worked in television for most of my career, when you look at television, that's absolutely the case of uh, the the people who are reading the news yeah. to you. That's all they're doing. Basically, they're not they're not. 
calling people on the phone and and going here, there, everywhere to to get interviews and and um, no, they're not doing that. They're reading a teleprompter, and believe me, that's not an easy job. You've got to do it every day. You got to be there every day. You got to keep yourself in shape. You've got to, but but that's what they do. I mean, people like uh, you know your Ron Majors, who I worked with at the um, near yeah. near the end of my career. Uh, that's what he that's what he did. He read the teleprompter. He did not report. Um, that, that, that he he read the teleprompter. That's it's, what it's, that's it's what they that, do. It's not I, that tough. Yeah, I mean, but, I, I you know you develop a little bit of a skill. I get it, but but it's really not that tough. No, it's it's not that <laughs> tough. I mean, it, it's but it's not what I did. What no, I, I did, I mean, I was every day, I mean, 24-7, I'm on the phone. People are calling me early in the morning, late at night. I mean, hey, you're going to do this? You want to do this story? I mean, I have to sift through all that, that information. And every day, I always try to tell people, every day, I only put on the air about 15% of what I found out. because sure, I couldn't at the time. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah right. and plus maybe the other 85% wasn't really relevant to the story I was doing that day, but I had the information. I had the and, and I and I used it and I became this 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 well of information that most of which I never used. But I had it. I don't do that now because I'm not working every day now. So I don't have anywhere near as much information that I used to have. But I do have a, a I, I do know how information is gathered and I know who's doing the work. I had an example come up just recently where uh, Sarah Schulte, a former colleague mm-hmm. of mine, was doing a story on the day that there was some legal action filed to keep Donald Trump off the ballot in Illinois. And she did the story on ABC 7. And she did, a, did an interview with the lawyer who actually filed the action, uh, who talked about why it was being filed and why Donald Trump should be kept off the ballot. Then she went to the University of Chicago and she interviewed a professor, a law professor, who basically sized up what the issue would be in court. Then she she did a statement with the chairman of the Illinois Republican Party, uh, a statement, and she read the statement as if she couldn't find one person in Illinois to say, I think this is BS, that I, I, don't, I don't agree with this. I mean... Not one person. She didn't call anybody. I mean, you, me, any of the other uh, people that John Anthony, anybody who might know, who might disagree with the whole notion of taking Donald Trump off the ballot. Right. I mean, how do you not cover the other side of the story. Well, I mean, this is this is why people get blindsided when Trump wins in 2016. Well, yeah, because they have no idea what you know uh, what what half of the population thinks. What's actually going on with them? And two words I always come back to when it comes to to media, uh, particularly uh, particularly television, because that's you know just sort of passively consumed by so many context and consequence. And the reason that people have fled to these alternate sites uh, once the digital age arrived and it was so easy to to build an alternative outlet is because of context and consequence. What the 10 o'clock news lacks is context and consequence. 
context in terms of giving me a better understanding of the world, consequence, and how does it impact my life. I'm sorry, but uh, you've heard me say this before. The residential kitchen fire, the crack up on the Dan Ryan, cross promotion for network programming, stale sports scores, and the five-day forecast, that, that offers no better understanding of the world. That is not meaningful to me unless somebody I know was in that – had that residential fire happen to them or was in that car accident. And uh, that's unlikely in a city in a region of eight million people. It's just it is it is there. It's just tone deafness, and it is just inconsequential. But, it is, and and this is why people don't watch appointment television and don't don't uh, pay much mind to the news readers, except when they want their opinions reinforced. So they flock to CNN, MSNBC, Fox. Well, the other thing, but see, what what really concerns me is what's going on in the editorial meetings. At these news out, these mainstream news outlets, what they're saying—the example I gave about the Trump thing—and and whether or not someone should have reached out to you or me or, or, or someone who who thinks he should be on the ballot—in the editorial meetings now, they are making the decision who is a right-wing extremist. Oh yeah, they, they're 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 actually talking about we can't interview him. He's a, he's a far right whatever they call. I mean, they're calling people names in these editorial meetings. Or oh, he's a racist, or he's anti-Semitic, or he's this. We can't interview. We can't give him voice. What? I mean, they're you know, you're you're um, right. You know, they. they uh, no. I, I, I love it. I love it. I mean, I, we we got to break for a second, but I, right, anytime, I'm almost forever described as like crypto conservative oh my god you know right it's a it's got to be it's got to be something that is scary and it sounds like stream and 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 uh yeah you know from from a bygone air you know antediluvian i mean it's like <laughs> i i just was chipped out of ice um oh, this is this is just consistent or it's you know failed gubernatorial candidate and crypto conservative uh you know extremist obviously is a favorite word right and the other side is a moderate, uh, they're saying a moderate, a um, a Democrat. You know, something very conventional, very reasonable, very w- uh, within the parameters of fair play. But then there's these crypto conservatives. It's cartoonish. It's cartoonish. They're in charge. Oh, I know. They, they're editors. I, know. I can't believe it. I mean, you you look at a guy like John Cash. The things they were saying about him. Oh, you know that? I've known right. that guy twenty five years. I know who he is, but that's and but that's, they, they, that's they, the, 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 just it's the, well the, the, again, um, right? That what they project, right? They they are what they project, and so they're the slime merchants. They're the propagandists. That's just how it is. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's morning answer. Morning answer on AM five sixty. The answer. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. 
So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. If you're looking for the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan, and in for Amy this morning is former ABC7 political reporter Charles Thomas, and we were talking about uh, journalism, given the uh, hue and cry over the Tucker Carlson-Vlad Putin interview that drops tonight. Uh, and uh, just the sort of talking about the state of journalism. So the the uh, main criticism, it seems to me, about Tucker's, and by the way, one other thing, too, uh, questions that you hope Tucker asks or asked, I assume this was taped, asked Vlad Putin, uh, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. But again, the hue and cry is mainly the idea that Tucker Carlson is some Kremlin stooge, and he's just serving to platform Putin and uh, help him serve up his his communist propaganda. And um, my response to that, as we discussed yesterday with uh, John Cass, is, um, well, if he if he does that, then he is going to greatly diminish his reputation. And for, for all the critics of Tucker Carlson, isn't that what you want him to do? Diminish his reputation. So what are you afraid of? They're afraid, and, they're afraid of the truth, Dan. Well, and and, and they're okay, fa- Colonel Jessup. Yeah, they're they're afraid of being exposed for what they are, and and they're they're they're, they're corrupt. They mm. have they have been corrupted, and they, they there's no leadership in journalism, mainstream media, but th- thanks to people like Tucker Carlson and all those other YouTube people, journalism is just taking a new a new face. They want to be what alternative media is becoming, which is uh, the truth. You can find the truth in alternative media. You find a lot of so-called misinformation there. I, I get it. Sure, I get it. of course. But there is also truth there that does not exist at mainstream media. Uh, it was interesting, this exchange uh, yesterday in the press briefing at the White House by Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House spokeswoman, um, Asked about this, and and remember the um, the four minute uh, tease that Tucker posted that we played yesterday and talked about, included the assertion that the Biden administration tried to block Tucker Carlson from uh, interviewing Putin. So KJP was asked about this. Listen to her answer. Uh, Carlson contended in his uh, preview video that the Biden administration has opposed and even attempted to hinder his attempts to interview Putin. Uh, do you have, uh, Wait, say that, say that last part again? He said that uh, the Biden administration has allegedly attempted to prevent him from interviewing Vladimir Putin. Um, do you have a comment on either the interview or that allegation? Absolutely not. And the board, absolutely not a comment or absolutely not that didn't happen? Absolutely not a comment, to be more clear, period. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Um, I have no comment on the allegation that the Biden administration, our administration, uh, tried to block Tucker Carlson from 
interviewing Putin. Why? Why wouldn't you say? Oh, why? Why? Why wouldn't you have? A, why wouldn't you have an account? Why wouldn't you just say? No, we didn't do anything like that. We don't care if, who Tucker Carlson interviews. If he wants to interview Vlad Putin, then he can interview Vlad Putin. If if, if he can set it up, whatever. That's that's beyond our kin. We're not interested in uh, worrying about or providing oversight on who Tucker Carlson or any other journalist interviews or doesn't interview. That's not our purview. Why would you say that? Maybe she told the truth. Maybe she did. <laughs> <laughs> she probably did. That'd be rare. Well, she, I mean, she didn't really tell anything. She just said no comment on well, whether or not we did that. That's not really telling you the truth. It's, it's Maybe it's insinuating it's what the in, truth is. Yeah. But isn't that bizarre? Beyond bizarre. But, I, you know, at the same time, you know, maybe she they did, and she didn't want to comment yeah. on that. She didn't want to say yes because, you know, we're in the business of trying to manipulate the media. Don't you remember the Twitter files? Mm. Yeah, she's not, I know she's not going to be that forthright. Uh, but, yeah, I just thought that no comment on the allegation. No, we didn't do it. No comment on we did. No, no, I'm just not going to comment on whether we did or didn't do it. Where's, you know, and it's funny, too, because there are other moments, you know, where you get the uh, lanyap of tributes to the First Amendment. We believe strongly in the free press, and that's a bedrock of a free society and journalism and this and that. You get the the high hat of, of about you know they're the real vanguard for our, our 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 First Amendment protections, and then here, which basically is part of the conversation, it was the government involved in trying to stop a, a guy with a show from interviewing a the Russian dictator. Oh, we're not going to comment on that. <laughs> okay, all right, I got it. Uh, Tom in Deer Park, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning, Dan. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Tucker Carlson is a, not a journalist. Uh, he's infotainment, and he's also either a tool or a fool. But you know who is a journalist? Evan Gershkovich. And you know who he is, the Wall Street Journal yes. reporter. One of 20,000 arrested and imprisoned people in Russia. 20,000 people arrested and imprisoned for protesting the war. So you guys talking up Tucker Carlson. I'll forward you Moni Sharon's piece from the Bulwark yesterday. It explains everything. But this is nothing new. He's been at this and only getting worse. Shame on you guys. I love you. Uh, shame on us for saying Tucker Carlson should be a, I mean, if Tucker Carlson can interview Putin or whatever, and you judge him and people can make their own judgments about the quality of the interview and whether he served as a Kremlin stooge or it was uh, illuminating. Shame on us for I mean, that's that's the mentality. And and Tom from Deer Park is a good you know, he's a never Trumper. Um, you can tell when he references the bulwark. Um, you could also tell by the, um, c- you know, complete logical uh, oxymoronic riff you just heard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so 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 I don't <clears throat> so so not once ever. Have I suggested that Putin is anything other than a murderous KGB dictator. Never said he's a good guy. Um, the, the point here is, and it's not, it's not even worth talking to Tom because he's just, he just stuck in this loop. He's stuck on stupid, to borrow from General Honore in the Katrina days. But, so so um, I'm sorry, is, was Bashar al-Assad a good guy when um, uh, he was interviewed? By um, uh, 
who was it? Who interviewed? Not Mike Wallace. Mike Wallace interviewed Hussein, right? But regardless, um, Western media. When Western media interviews Bashar al-Assad about the allegations that were accurate, that he gassed tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of his own people. Um, the interviewing of President Xi and when we critical, when the media doesn't and corporate leader doesn't question President Xi about the persecution of his own people, particularly, for example, the Uyghur Muslim population. Um, so, but, but, but Tucker Carlson specifically is not allowed to interview Vlad Putin specifically. Everything else is fair game. Babs with Fidel, you know, Barbara, Barbara Wawa, all, all these other journalists over, over all these years, that's all good journalism. That's great. Then that's as you said before, Charles. Oh, we should celebrate that these journalists are are intrepid. They're getting an audience with these dictators. We need a better understanding. I, you know, sixty minutes interviewing, uh, uh, you know, the, the Iranian uh, lunatic president at the time, Ahmadinejad. I mean, all all of these. Pe- Everything is fair game. Everything is wonderful. That's the beauty of the First Amendment. We need this information, except there's one exception. Tom from Deer Parks, one exception. Tucker Carlson and Vlad Putin. They, those two shall never meet. You it's, know, so, it's so insane. By the way, I hope uh, Tucker did ask about Evan Gershkovich. And we talked about on this show, shame on us, we talked about the show when we, when we talked to Dan Henninger from the Wall Street Journal, which we do semi-routinely. We always check in. What do they know about Gershkovich? There's no one um, uh, uh, offering apologies for that murderous KGB dictator in Russia and no one cheering him on. But if, again, if you like Tucker or if you oppose blank checks to Ukraine, then you're a Kremlin stooge. And that's the depth of the thinking of never Trumpers like Tom from Deer Park and uh, who basically is a collaborator with MSNBC and CNN, ironically, because they're they're promulgating the same line of propaganda. It's just stunning. This is this. This is the level of political discourse in this country, which is why I'm glad I have a radio show, because it's cathartic for me to get all this poison out so I don't explode. And, you know, it's a fairly recent phenomenon. I mean, this is something that's really developed over the last uh, eight to ten years, uh, certainly since 2016, where we have journalists canceling other journalists. Uh, And 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 it's frightening. It's frightening because that is the first step toward real dictatorship, real loss of freedom. It, yeah, it, and it's happening right in front of us. The, right when what you essentially have, we've talked about before, the fourth estate folding in with the state. Yep. Rather than serving as a check, they're serving as the comm shop. That doesn't concern anybody. Tucker Carlson interviewing Vlad Putin. Oh my God! Stop the presses, literally. Mike in uh, Wisconsin, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning. Uh, Dan Charles, good Thanks morning. For taking my call, um, I, you know Charles, what you just said is uh, remarkable, one hundred percent true. But journalism in in America died in the early sixties. There was a, uh, and you can look it up. There was a lady, twenty uh, six year old lady. Her name was um, Catherine Genovese. She went by Kitty. And she was yeah. abducted, raped, and murdered on the on a sidewalk in Queens. 
And nobody came to help. When she screamed and nobody came to help. Right. And? Okay. And so somebody once said, don't let the story, you know, your coverage of the story become the story. So somebody commissioned one of these uh, crazy left-wing colleges, universities, to look at this incident and, you know, try to explain why nobody helped. And, and their conclusion was nobody helped because she didn't specifically ask a person to help her. You with the plaid shirt, you with the white ball cap, you know, you with the red shoes. Why? So, you know, it, it, it's a twofold um, uh, dilemma here. We're blaming the victim and we're, we're ending uh, journalism how it should be. And, and, and later on, uh, journalism was relegated to late night talk shows. And if you, if you query um, Jim Garrison, who was a prosecutor in um, Louisiana, and, and we remember the Oliver Stone uh, film, JFK, well, Garrison was interviewed by Johnny Carson. <laughs> you know? Well, uh, I, I, got uh, news, I got news for you. Late night TV ain't journalism. You thanks know? for the thanks for the call, Mike. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, but you, you can, I mean, there's a, a, a if you're getting to the point of sort of celebritizing journalism, then I agree with you because it can create some moral hazards. But, but I mean, you, you know, you can um, be on a serious talk show, do a serious interview with a serious outlet, and also be on a less serious talk show. I mean, I don't think we should i don't think we should worry about these sort of artificial lines of demarcation i should think we should think more globally about sort of first principles when it comes to a free press when it comes to all of our first amendment protections restraints on government if you will um yeah so i you know i i i don't know that the genovese story marks the end of journalism uh, and again, as much as we spent over the last eight years, as you were sort of intimating, Charles, uh, talking about um, you know, partisan politics, the get Trump, which has been the dominant mission of the uh, D.C. press corps for the last eight years. To me, those two words I mentioned before, context and consequence, what so many of the stories emanating from these legacy corporate outlets lack as as much the story about the end of those legacy corporate media outlets being the gatekeepers of information, much less truth, uh, as is partisanship or or you know shared ideology. Uh, Mary Kay, Western Springs. Hey Dan, thanks for taking the call. I'm going to go back on my original comment. Yeah, um, Obama has had a beer, sit down, um, and had a beer with who? Who did he sit down with and act like he was being up? Well, well, he, he 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 organized that beer summit between the Har the Harvard professor and the cop, right? Yeah, is that, well, that the one you're was, referring to? Seemed, yes, and it seemed it seemed silly to me, and some somebody you know did that. But you know, I, I, what I get so mad about is, um, you know, the, these young people who are. Uh, it, it, I, you know, when we were kids, we had the newspaper, so we read John Cass every day. We we had information that we trusted, and there was a lot of it, and we made decisions based on what we read. 
there's so much to delve into on the internet. There's so much to sift through that you, and I listen to many, many podcasts, all the people out there trying to understand what in the world is going on, why these people think the way they do. I try to understand the Democrats. I really, really do, but nothing they say makes sense to me. It just doesn't make sense. So I'm looking for serious journalism. I trust Tucker Carlson more than I trust, trust Jean-Pierre you know, the, the whatever you call her, the, the press secretary. I mean, she just, I just don't trust her, not because of what she is and what she does. It's, it's what I've heard her say and then what I've gone and researched for myself and found out. Yeah, you know thanks, for the, thanks for the call, Mary Kate. Well, that's, that's sort of the point. What, what, this instinct that's also crept up, um, I don't know, it seems to me it's more prevalent. It's always there, it's part of the human condition, but it's more prevalent today than ever. And Tom from Deer Park is a good example of this uh, pathology. If I don't like you or if I disagree with you, you should be silenced. <laughs> but I, but I'm, a, I'm a patriot and a proponent of a free society. No, you're not. You know, also, there, there's a, remember Biden last summer saying Putin has already lost the war? Remember that? Yeah. So sure. what I'm saying is that there, there, there's a lot of lying going on by by officialdom, official Washington, by the, by the, and about this war, and perhaps we'll get by hearing what Putin has to say about it, we'll get a better feel for who's lying. I mean, well, uh, and, and, uh, the, the, yeah, right. And there again, our founders and their infinite wisdom among the first freedoms enshrined in the First Amendment and the Bill of Rights is a free press. They they understood that, uh, ap, you know, they understood that you know, the Lord Acton aphorism that absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Let's have a check. And uh, the greatest check you can have uh, on a government, on the state and in a free society is a free press, free information flow. Right. Right. Because because the state has a tendency to serve its interests, not the interests of its constituents. What an insight. It seems that a lot of people have forgotten that. The more you listen, the more, you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer on AM560. Hey, business owners, is your business and money in good hands? Does your bank invest in your success? Hi, Mike Gallagher here, letting you know that when you need a relationship bank, Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. I love these guys. Not only do they have expansive industry experience, a strong financial track record, but they're also highly capitalized for strategic growth. That's so important. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. They know what it means to grow a business by designing solutions that are right for you and only you. These are real people. They're ready to help. So reach out to my friends at Signature Bank. Make the call today, 773-467-5630, 773-467-5630, or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Your business could be Signature Bank's next success story. Go online, SignatureBank.Bank, member FDIC, Equal housing lender. Signature Bank. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. (laughs) 
Top of the morning, Dan, and in for Charles, in for Amy this morning, I should say, is Charles Thomas, former ABC7 political reporter. Charles. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Uh, so, uh, Naperville. Naperville. The uh, best community in America. Or most livable, or I don't know, something. Always touting, uh, being touted as this, you know, wonderful cosmopolitan yet suburban community. Uh, and it, it was when I was growing up in Wheaton. Naperville's fun. So was Wheaton. Naperville's West- not fun anymore? And the Western Burbs. No. You know why? Because it's been infested with sentimental barbarians. And it just uh, it just puts a damper on things, I find. Wait, 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 wait. Sentimental barbarians. Yes. Um, okay. You got yes. Um, but people that, uh, I mean, the shorthand of it is people that do not think they feel. And uh, everything is about their feelings. They're a self-indulgent type of person. They're a scold. They're largely um, these uh, shrews or offals, uh, angry white leftist females, uh, and these... Um, Male impersonators that they mar- that they're married to, <laughs> they they elect people like uh, Janet Yang Rohr and Anna Stava Murray who are dyed in the wool reds, throwing State Senator Laura Elman too. It's um, these are the people that have the hate has no home here signs in the yards. These are the people that wear the no person is illegal T-shirts. They're forever telling you to. Put your mask on, get your jab, stand in your idiot circle, repeat these lines. Um, they're a, a goon squad that masquerades as the repository of compassion. And uh, that was on display at the city council meeting the other night in Naperville. This was the first opportunity Naperville residents had to respond to the proposal that City Councilman Josh McBroom made uh, to put up a sign-up list for Naperville residents who wanted to take migrants, migrant families, into their homes. Now, this was sometimes misinterpreted by some, but knowing Josh, and, and we had him on the show to discuss this as well, um, I knew what he was doing. He was sort of gently calling out these sentimental barbarians, these open borders leftists that dominate Naperville and the western suburbs now mm. because of, I don't know, conservatives' general lack of convictions and work ethic and and uh, the Republican Party's uh, uh, capitulation to the left. But that's a, another tangent. Um that it was you know, challenging them to live their values. Hey, well, hey, here it is. Don't don't be coming to us saying we should apply for taxpayer money through the Governor Jelly Belly's grant program to take in migrants. Don't be coming to us saying we should do this and we should do that at a municipal governmental level. Uh, do it yourself. Let's put up a sign-up list. Let's display our welcoming community. All those people that talk about it and put signs in their yards. Now live it. It's sort of a low-budget um, Ron DeSantis sending migrants to uh, Martha's, Martha's Vineyard, Vineyard yeah. kind of situation, but low yeah. budget and local. 
Yeah, exactly. And so, <laughs> man, this is, this, there are some really good ones. I, I was just howling listening to these Naperville residents at the council meeting chiding Josh McBroom. Some, <laughs> some had the courage to call him out by name. Many did not. You, you, you got to listen to some of this stuff, some of these residents. And let's call them by name. They may not be have the courage to call Josh McBroom by his name, but I have the courage to call them by their name. And I hope they hope the, that people who, who know them are listening. And I hope that people who know them uh, and are listening tell them to engage, challenge them, rather than letting them just wag their fingers for their three minutes at a city council meeting and then continue their rapacious thuggery in your neighborhood. Oh, no, I know, but Naperville has the river walk. No, I know, Naperville Central, Naperville North are these great schools. Not really. Not really. There are very, there are very few great schools in the suburbs uh, anymore, by the way. So I'm not just picking on Naperville. You've heard me uh, talk about that. Gosh, we've talked about that for years, for goodness sakes. But um, it's all a facade. But these people are walking facades. And you just listen to them. Like uh, Mina... Benassiak. I may be mispronouncing her name, but my best effort. So as it relates to the migrant housing crisis, it has been astonishing to hear a council member declare with baseless conviction that Naperville residents are hypocrites about supporting people in need because they didn't sign a non-existent form. How embarrassing for our city to watch this council member spend week after week on news and social media perpetuating prejudice against the very people they're supposed to be serving. Instead of making an earnest effort to find common ground among differing perspectives, he contrived a disingenuous proposal that needlessly burdened city staff, insulted our residents, and diverted attention from solving the actual problem to ridiculing people who want a real solution. If you hadn't seen the overtly offensive and xenophobic sample form this council member chose to circulate, a few excerpts are on the screen. This council member repeatedly described their sign-up suggestion on public media as sincere, no. A sincere suggestion would have been to invite us to sign up for a roundtable to discuss what's possible through city, private, or nonprofit channels. <laughs> there are so many ways to honor your own position on this or any topic and respectfully incorporate differing opinions. Respectfully incorporate differing opinions, like calling somebody xenophobic, mm. right? Yeah, look, what you should have done is have a sign-up list for a meeting where we could talk about how enlightened we are. Not not a sign-up list to do anything. A sign-up list to offload it to somebody else. Because that, that's what it means to be a welcoming city. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Man, these April residents. By the way. The uh, the audience is full, and it's 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 all one sided, because where are the conservatives? I don't know. Um, Forget even conservatives. Where are people that 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 have common sense? Common I mean, sense, I guess they yes. have enough sense to not go to Naperville City Council meetings. But um, the, the the entire audience is. I mean, not the entire audience. Most of the audience, from what you can see watching the city council meeting on on um, Online and then seeing people in the background as one resident after the other gets up to speak and have their three minutes. Signs that were passed out. Naper strong. Hate has no home here. They're all sitting in the uh, in the the, the, the the you know the seats in the audience with their their little signs on their laps. What does that what, what does that mean? So so if you disagree with uh, the position 
that these open borders folks have, like Mina, that you just heard, you're a hate monger. Hate mongers. But hey, 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 how dare you ridicule us? We're trying to forge common ground. Let's get a roundtable discussion going. How how dare you, xenophobic, racist, bigot, hate mon- bigoted hate mongers, how dare you ridicule us, you see? Don't you appreciate our goodness? Don't you appreciate the leadership that we're providing, the example of of uh, uh, civil discourse. I mean, they're just they're just so precious. Meet Donna Sack. We can all agree that the current situation at the border needs fixing. This is a complicated situation, is it? decades in the making, needing federal bipartisan legislation. But in this moment, we are faced with thousands and thousands of people in our metropolitan area seeking asylum. I am heartened by the efforts of Napervillians that I know are supporting the migrant community. This story needs to be told too. How do we want to be remembered? In words paraphrased from a great colleague of mine, we all need to ask, what kind of ancestor will I be? Thank you. If you're not for open borders, if you're not for sanctuary state status, then, you know, you're a um, embarrassment to your people. And that's how you'll be remembered. Common ground, Charles. They're trying to find common ground, don't you know? (laughs) Common ground, but not in my crib. (laughs) We got, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't say all that. (laughs) No, 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 no. I mean, listen, so the, the, the eunuchs that I'm talking about, the men of Naperville. You mean the betas? <laughs> well, I, beta d- d- is is too generous, <laughs> frankly. Um, let me give you an example. And, and you know, I, I, somebody probably knows this guy. He sounds really earnest, and I, I'm sure he means well. But just listen to this, the mentality. I mean, it really is pathological. There's just a lack of self-awareness. Are, are you even listening to what you're saying and the implications? Uh, I, I was a thought that was running through my head as I'm listening to Tony Andrews, who's a proud, longtime Naperville resident. He's done the training to uh, take in migrants, so he's serious about it, but he realized something. The thousands of asylum seekers who have found themselves involuntarily in Chicagoland, even though there is no city of Naperville sign-up sheet, there are plenty of ways for us all to help. I have personally applied to receive the formal training offered by one local humanitarian organization to aid a refugee family with emergency short-term housing. But I've recognized that housing an individual or a family in a suburban household is not ideal for the asylum seeker <laughs> as it is more effective to serve them in large groups, typically housed with others yeah. of the same country of origin, religion, in the hood, language, <laughs> by a humanitarian organization that is equipped, informed, trained to serve them with direct services close to their offices with a full legal team 
to best serve them. How about it? You see, look, I was going to have some uh, a migrant family stay with me, but then I realized I don't have a full legal team. I, I, I don't know. I, have you ever had guests at your home? Um, I don't know how to serve these people. I don't know to, how to, to help other human beings. I can't do that myself. You need wraparound services. This is what nonprofits are for, and, and the, the, the site needs to be close to the office. And, and I don't know, let's put up fences and just a, a yard. Let's put them in, a, in an old Walgreens and Little Village. Let's put them in an old grocery store uh, on the south side. You, know, you can't do it in a home setting. You can't have other people who are different from you in your home because you don't have a legal team there to help them with their asylum applications or whatever the hell he's talking about. All that stuff in the South Shore, man. That's where they move 500 migrants (laughs) are living right now in South Shore. Uh, The hood, if you will. They call it Terror Town. Uh, That's where they're moving them. That's fine over there. No, we need like a public housing project. Yeah. They need to be warehoused in group settings. They can't, you know, I mean, that's that's the neighborly thing to do, not opening your home and saying, I'm going to uh, provide a shelter for this family and we'll get on and figure it out. I mean, it's just too complicated. It's too complicated to have guests in your home. What, what do you do when the in-laws come into town? Is, do, you, do you also rely on a nonprofit in that situation? Because cause the, these are, these are you know, this is being your brother's keeper, Tony. What's, what is complicated about this? This is what I'm talking about. It sounds good. I'm sure everybody who knows Tony Andrews in Naperville thinks he's a wonderful guy who's got a good heart. And yet he is a promoter of barbarism. Because uh, just like all these other ghastly people that are so enthralled with their own moral rectitude that consequences don't matter bask in my feelings bask in my empathy i don't what it produces doesn't matter this is why flannery o'connor famously described that um sentimentality leads to the gas chamber by have you heard that anyone has uh, taken up a migrant family in Naperville? No, it's the whole thing. Oh, there, there was no list. Make your own list. Oh, they tabled that. You need a city council to put up a sign-up sheet, and you're you're out there talking about I'm working with this nonprofit and I'm taking this training. Make your own list. Circulate your own list. All you people in that audience at that city council meeting. What do you need Josh McBroom to set up a letter? The city council, the city government, set up a list for you if you were so interested. But you're not. Thus the hypocrisy. Lynn Gessler. She's a peach. This started what has become an endless political stunt that continues to smear the city and its residents. The councilman took photographs of residents' yards without permission and he uses permission. them as props on his national media tour. During those interviews, he says nobody signed up, but does not disclose there was no sign up, nor mention that he pulled the proposal. He says the <laughs> firestorm was worth it. Faux outrage over issues and empty solutions that don't actually benefit the city are directly from the Awake Illinois playbook and organization Uh-oh. the councilman founded. Is fomenting division and mocking a majority of the community instead of focusing on city business the role of a nonpartisan city council member? Yeah. 
Right. And the, the patina of nonpartisanship. Right. These are these are these are nonpartisan, civic minded individuals. They don't have any political agenda. They're postpartisan, Charles. And then they're dragged into the gutter of partisan politics by Josh McBroom because he suggested a sign up sheet. You say, oh, isn't, isn't it tragic? It's terrible. Now you're you're shaming Naperville, which is a welcoming community. Don't you people understand? We're a welcoming community. We're good with the migrants. Yeah. Yeah. That's- yeah, they're uh, yeah, it, it's it's rife with hypocrisy oh. all over. I mean, all over the way the the libs are reacting to this. You know, I saw that story on Channel Seven last week, week before last, about the city now spending money to ship migrants out of Chicago. You you remember that? Oh you, yeah, you right. yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, now they're doing what Greg Abbott has been doing. For the past uh, year and a half, yeah, I they're know, doing but, now. They're doing it. Yeah, but Greg Abbott, Greg Abbott is a xenophobe, and Brandon Johnson presides over a welcoming community. Right. Right. Uh huh. Yeah. Yep. Brian, St. John, Indiana. What's up, man? Uh, it sounds like that beta male is uh, saying, "Let's build ghettos and have the government serve the people." So it sounds pretty uh, like they're over the target of government dependence. Uh, P.S. I will be going to the Pancake Cafe this uh, Saturday afternoon for lunch with my kids. Very okay. good. Yeah, don't forget about the Pancake Cafe on 75th Street in Naperville because the people that you hear talking at this meeting are the ones, the type, the profile, maybe not every individual, that uh, announced a boycott of the Pancake Cafe because Josh McBroom's teenage son works there. Get out of here. Not kidding. Oh, man. This is this is sentimental barbarism. This is what I'm talking about. And then and the same. And then in the next turn, they're going to talk about our community. You're tearing at the fabric of our community. We're a welcoming community. Civil discourse in enlightened discussion, being a solutionist. Oh, sure. Right. This is high dungeon, uh, except they're this is real. I mean, that this is not intended uh, as parody. Although they're, they're, these people are completely unserious and risable, of course. Matt, Southside. Good morning, dear. Good morning, Charles. I was going to say those uh, people in Naperville who are waiting to get around together and uh, make up this list, maybe they can go up to the Highland Park Country Club with those housewives and pretend to be poor. <laughs> yeah, perfect. Another example. Of course, it's everywhere in Chicago land. Yeah, the the poor the poverty simulation in Highland Park at the club. <laughs> okay, I, I've saved the best for last. Meet Tim Thompson. Oh. Tim Thompson is um, this guy who looks like Ricky from Better Off Dead, uh, and he the John Cusack movie, and he gets up uh, to the microphone. He's got a T-shirt on with. That's that's like a, a T-shirt version of the yard sign, right? Science is real. No person is illegal. Kindness is everything. And Tim Thompson is so upset he could cry. I am very angry. At our last city council meeting, it was recommended to create a sign-up sheet for families who are willing to use their personal finances and homes to house migrants rather than migrant families seeking asylum rather than to use tax dollars to help fund already established aid programs. 
This has garnered quite a bit of attention and, quite frankly, has made our city a national laughingstock. This, this suggestion didn't hold a bit of sincerity. It just, and I quote, wasn't outwardly mocking progressive voters. What's worse, it didn't come from some washed up former city councilman or a failed school board member. It came from a sitting city councilman, directly from the dais. This wasted time at a city council meeting and wasted countless hours of city staff's time in the aftermath. We do not need our city council engaging in highly partisan activities to further their own interests and earn themselves their 15 seconds of fame. I'm begging you to see this as a sign. If this behavior is allowed to stand unchecked, I promise you it will only embolden others. <laughs> if we want to maintain our city's integrity, this behavior needs to be discouraged. What we do in this moment will define us. I beg you to have the strength to do what's right and send a message that Naperville is a welcoming, oh. wonderful place that doesn't abide hate. There has to be more for our city than this. And uh, then he went home because mom was making meatloaf. And, <laughs> and you know, you, should not upset you don't upset mom. Um, this guy... In this moment, this moment will define us. Responding to a city councilman offering a sign-up sheet? This is, this is an existential moment in the history of Naperville. Nay, nay the country. Nay, nay, the Western world, Charles. Oh, man, look, this is so, this is so troubling. Because, you know, I, I really, to be honest with you, man, Naperville used to be a sane place. Not anymore. Not anymore. This no. is obvious. When did, and, they, when did they move in, man? Well, and, and let me tell you something, too. You know, all this, how dare you ridicule us? Just remember C.S. Lewis's observation. Above all else, the devil cannot stand to be mocked. Oh. And that's why mockery is so important and so powerful and so appropriate here. The more you listen, the more, you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer. On AM 560, The Answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and uh, former AG7 political reporter Charles Thomas in for Amy this morning. Good morning. And uh, Charles, uh, BLM Brandon and the uh, pro-Hamas caucus in the Chicago City Council has uh, spawned uh, more demands of more communities and businesses by pro-Hamas protesters who think they can block and bully their way into getting what they want, which is some sort of declaration of allyship with um, with them and their interests in supporting terrorism in the Middle East, which is what it is, these ceasefire resolutions. Well, you know, too, but keep in mind that there is a, significant and growing rapidly growing arab american population in on in the southwest suburbs in general and uh in orland park so i i'm not surprised at all by the effort that um these activists made uh before the city council they call it in orland park uh yeah village board village but, board yeah 
Um, yeah, but I mean, it's 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 not limited even to where uh, there are significant Muslim populations. Uh, how about uh, Hartford, Connecticut? That's the uh, where the state capital is located there in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Um, this was during Connecticut Governor Ned Lamont, Democrat, during his State of the State address. get the gist of it you know they didn't uh glue themselves to the banisters in the uh in the uh, in the audience but uh, uh like they lay down in front of traffic on major thoroughfares and so forth um how about a niles outside of woodward the company woodward which is a, a aerospace company a contract i think it's a sub of a boeing among others a group of young protesters sending a message today outside woodward manufacturing about a hundred people showing up at the company's site in niles blocking off all intersections leading into the property the protesters say they don't agree with the company manufacturing products for boeing alleging that some of those products are bomb kits being used in gaza more than 27,000 Palestinians have been killed in the past three months. Over 11,000 children have been killed in three months. And Woodward, Boeing, and other companies that have contact with Israel are complicit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that brings us to Orland Park, where you had, uh, uh, during public comment section, we were just enjoying Naperville's public comment section this week. Well, during Orland Park's public comment session, a bunch of individuals got up that want this ceasefire resolution, a la the Chicago City Council. And after they had gotten done with public comment, uh, the mayor there, Keith Pikau, responded. Then he was interrupted repeatedly. Then they had to adjourn the meeting for half an hour and then come back so he could finish his statement. But here's the gist of what uh, Pikau said in response to those demanding that Orland Park pass a ceasefire resolution, as you say, Charles, a sizable uh, Muslim population in uh, uh, the southwest suburbs. First and foremost, I'm an American. I'm not a German-American. I'm an American. That's where my allegiances lie, period, dot, end of story. And if you're an American citizen and you don't feel that way, in my opinion, you're entitled to that opinion, but you can certainly go. And, and, and go to another country and support that country. And, and all the power to you if you choose to do that. But as long as I'm in America, as long as I'm an American, and I am, I've taken several oaths to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. I will always support America's interest, which means supporting our allies and opposing our enemies and doing what is in the best interest of America and Americans. America's official position is to support a two-state solution and that Hamas is a terrorist organization. I agree with and support those positions. In my opinion, for this to end, Hamas must immediately surrender, disarm, and release all the hostages. The PLA must declare Israel's right to exist and agree to a two-state solution. Free elections must be held in Gaza with complete oversight from the international community. And then Hamas leaders and members should stand trial for violating the Geneva Conventions, including but not limited to Articles 3, 13, 27, 30, 34, 38, 52, 75, and 93. Until this happens, let's all hope that Israel exercises all possible caution to avoid unnecessary harm to the citizens of Gaza who are not affiliated with Hamas. As someone who has been to war, my biggest wish is for this conflict to end quickly 
with a decisive Hamas defeat so that the Gazan people can elect leaders that will do what is in the best interest for their people and create an environment that allows their community to thrive, where people of all faiths can live in peace and where they and their neighbors can live without the threat of war and armed conflict hanging over their head every day. So guess how that statement was received by the Council on American-Islamic Relations, CARE, uh, the ironically acronymed, and because uh, that's an organization that's uh, terrorist sympathizers, if not uh, collaborators, certain affiliates. Uh, and uh, ABC7 News, Charles, your former employer, guess how that was characterized, the statement you just heard from Keith Peacow in part? How? If if you don't like, oh oh that that line, yeah. If you don't like it, then leave. The typical like America, love it or leave it. But that's not what he said. That's not what he. That's not a fair representation of what he said. Uh, it was considered. It was detailed. And actually, I mean, I don't necessarily the two state solution. I think is off the table for the foreseeable future. But regardless, um, interesting discussion at the village level in Orland Park, and of course the what we were been talking about the uh, drum beating to fall in line with the orthodoxy, not of the administration in this sense, except maybe the Johnson administration in Chicago, but of the uh, identitarian socialist Spice Girls orthodoxy on Israel as an apartheid state committing genocide, which is what that's, those sanitized ceasefire resolutions are really about. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by the aforesaid mayor of Orland Park, Keith Peacock. Keith, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hi, Dan. Hi, Charles. Welcome to the show, Charles. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, welcome to the show yourself. And so, um, so yeah, what's the fallout from both of those exchanges during the meeting and then the uh, stilted media coverage of it? Uh, it? You know, the usual that you would expect to see, the hate speech on uh, on social media, and uh, some hate emails, but also, especially after the media started to cover it, tons of outpouring of support as well. Not as much on social media, because I think people don't want to get in the middle of that and be targeted. And that does not surprise me. But as one of my other trustees said, and you, and you didn't play that, but I will not be bullied. I think that speaks for exactly what they tried to do the other night. Mm-hmm. And the the individuals that... Um spoke uh, during public comment section. I watched most of it. Um, you know, most of it, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I sort of know what they're doing, but most of it was room temperature and civil. So that's fine. Speak your piece. I don't care. But I wonder if you had uh, any interactions with any of those individuals who did speak at public comment or if that was just part of the, the show before the show, if you will. So I had no interactions. We listened uh, respectfully to, uh, to every one of them speak. And I asked uh, I asked after the last one that had signed in spoke, I asked if anyone else wanted to speak and they could come up and speak and, and no one did. And then I presented my comments. And as I know you've listened to them, uh, I pre- basically presented the history of the region and I didn't really even get into the current conflict. I got as far as saying that this is what the population is today. And at that point, the room erupted and I, uh, I, I gaveled them and, and asked them to, uh, to be respectful of me like I was respectful of them. And then they continued. And then I warned them again. And I said, if this continues, we'll have to clear the room. And then they continued. And then we cleared the room. So, uh, and the entire room was chanting and yelling 
and disrupting uh, the meeting, which you can certainly see on the video as well. Well, if it's good enough for the Ivy League, it's good enough for Orland Park a Village Board meeting, you know what I mean? Um, this is how they get things done, or they they think so. Uh, I wonder um, what uh, uh, the larger community is saying uh, about this, particularly because you said something that I think was triggering to them. Maybe this was part of even more than the just <laughs> just detailing the demographics of the region. I mean, it's like census data, and then they started shouting. But you said something about Chicago, Chicago passing a ceasefire resolution. You basically said, if Chicago zigs, we're going to zag. I don't want to do anything that Chicago's doing. And I wonder if that was part of the, the uh, offense that was taken. Possibly one one individual said that we should be like Chicago and San Francisco, and you know, frankly, I don't want to be crime ridden, feces ridden, and migrant ridden, and I don't think Orland Parkers want that either. And I said, if you don't, if you want us to be like that, you should go there because Orland Park is not it. And the and. Uh... From residents, I mean, other than the council and stuff, you said you're getting support. I mean, is this is this an issue that is that that has really bubbled to the surface in Orland Park writ large, or is this just one of these instances where uh, some residents decided, like in Niles outside of Woodward, like in the state of the state address in Hartford, Connecticut, they decided this is a good spot to uh, make a stand, and it really doesn't represent sort of the discourse going on in the the larger community. Back at our meeting right before Christmas, uh, I believe four individuals came and spoke and demanded this. And then uh, haven't seen uh, them since, although I have had a, a, a few phone calls threatening to protest if I, if, if I don't meet their demands. And at the end of the day, Chicago has no role in foreign policy. I can't pick up the phone and call anyone, anyone in Israel or in Gaza to get this done. So, um, you know, if I did, I'd be the secretary of state. So... Orland Park has no has no bearing on foreign policy, and we're not going to comment, which is what I told them in December. And I'm not surprised this happened. I, I guess maybe I'm a little surprised it didn't happen sooner. But certainly they're emboldened thanks to the city of Chicago and what they did and what Brandon Johnson did. So I would imagine that uh, this will continue, but we will not be bullied and we will not give in. And the the interesting thing of what of all of the comments that I've received not one of them has acknowledged that Hamas, in fact, they've actually denied some of them, that Hamas uh, started this on October 7th. There was peace on October 6th, and that, or that Israel has a right to exist. And if you can't acknowledge those two facts, it's pretty hard to have any kind of civil discussion about the issue. But Keith, a lot of people, they, they because of demographic, demographic changes, and the fact that there's a rise in secularism in this country where people are basically non-religious, they're looking at this in a different way than the national government. And isn't, isn't what happened at your village board meeting democracy in action? As I mentioned earlier, you have this growing um, Muslim American population, uh, and they basically express themselves. And... So, so certainly they express themselves as they are allowed to do, and we listen to that. But we're conducting a business meeting at that at that location, and to shout out my my comments, that which were all factual, everything I was giving was just facts, and to shout down my comments, um, 
to me, that's not civil discourse. It's, it's certainly a right for someone to scream and yell. Uh, they have that right. I've fought for that right uh, as, a, as, you know, during my time in, in the service. However, if that's the way you're going to conduct business here in America, in my opinion, I hope you never get things done doing it that way. Yeah, right. I mean, it's like, look, it, right. You have your say during public comment and there are, you know, there's time place. I mean, you want to have a, a discussion on the street, then it can be, you know, freewheeling in, in these board meetings like everyone does. I mean, this is not really in controversy. Yeah, you have everybody gets their say and village officials want to say something. They get their say and then you want to continue the conversation after the meeting. Fine. But I mean, but, but the, the, the temper tantrums like. Uh, you had in 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 Orland Park, uh, that that's it, it, by the same people, of course. You know, prattling on about civil discourse. I mean, is this really that much? Is that really so complicated? Just you know, you you get your say, and then I get my say. Pretty straightforward stuff. Uh, I, I, just boy, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you get your say, then I get my say, then you get to shout me down, and then you get to uh, get all morally indignant about civil discourse. Right. Yeah. No, that's not how it works. Um, by the way, has CARE, did CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations that uh, released a statement popping you, um, did, they, did, have, did they talk to you? Did, you know, again, trying to find common ground, another phrase that we always hear. Did they reach out to you and say, we'd like to have a discussion with you or the village board about this uh, matter, these resolutions we're pushing? No, as a matter of fact, in seven years, I've never heard from CARE at all. It, with, my, with the growing population, as you point out, never, ever have heard from them. And their first comment to me is that I'm a racist, which I said nothing right. that is even remotely racist. Plus, they're the same race as I am. They're Caucasian. So uh, if, you're, if you're the way that you perceive discourse in democracy is to scream and yell when someone disagrees with you and call them racist the minute they disagree with you, that's the woke left mob. And I'm not going to get into it. That's not the America I know. That's not the America I grew up in. It's not the America I want. And I hope going forward, more Americans stand their ground and, and are not bullied. Because this bully, go, this bully goes way beyond the village board. And you know it and I know it, that this is going on elsewhere. And people, most Americans, they don't want that. They just want to go about their daily lives. And, you know, hopefully that's what, that's what happens in the future. He's Keith Picao, Mayor of Orland Park. Keith, thanks, as always, for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Dan, for having me. And he joined us on the Turnkey.pro Answer Line. The more you listen, the more you listen, the more you'll know. This is Chicago's Morning Answer. Morning Answer. On AM 560, The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM 560, The Answer. Sports and politics and sports and politics and sports and politics and intersection. Arrogance and ignorance, arrogance, ignorance, and arrogance and ignorance. Intersection. Dan and in for Amy this morning, Charles Thomas, former ABC7 political reporter. And uh, Charles, um, the other day, uh, Roger Goodell was doing a little press confab in advance of Sunday's big game. And he had this to say. 
about the prospect of the big game coming to Chicago. Take a listen. The Bears are looking to build a new enclosed stadium in Chicagoland. How important is that to the league? And could that lead to a Super Bowl in the future? I think it's important to the Chicago Bears, uh, their fans. I think it's also important to that community. Uh, um, I think, as we have seen here, um, a great stadium can host additional events. I think that's true in Chicago. Uh, I think the the Dome Stadium that they're talking about, both downtown and also potentially in Arlington, I think those are both great opportunities that they need to explore. The good news is they've got quite a bit of time on their lease. Uh, the Bears are committed to being in Chicagoland. Uh, I talked to the mayor of Chicago recently. Uh, he wants them in the city. Arlington wants it out in Arlington. I think they'll be able to develop a proposal that will be good for the fans, but I also think it'll be great for Chicago. What do you think about that, Charles? Oh, they're going to charge us. Somebody's going to get going to get uh, really squeezed on the uh, tax tip. That's what I think is going to happen. And whether it happens in Arlington Heights, folks out there, or in the city, uh, they they they're going to have to come up with the money because the Bears aren't going to do it on their own. I, what do you think I, about uh, What do you think about a dome, though? Do you want a dome for the chance to get the big game? I mean, I think if you had a dome. And you know the the Bears paid for it. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. A dome definitely would. Yeah, but that's not Bears football. Then but, all that all that history goes by the boards. Then we become the Lions. All that, that, that and you know all that history is what the really, Vikings really, I think, stops the Bears from becoming what they need to be in the twenty first century. I mean, Boy, the whole I, I ex- three I yards expect, in a cloud of dust and. I, I, I expected some sports purity from you. I'm uh, you're uh, a, you're a no, man no, no, of no, your no, time no. instead of no. I I see the game. The game has changed, and the Bears haven't. I mean, well, why do you think they can't get a quarterback? Well, uh, because just, it's their Justin, culture. Justin their culture. Fields is a he's a quarterback. I mean, yeah, he's not the traditional drop back passer. Yeah. Right. Well, look at the, look at what's happened to him in the last three years. Well, I mean, he, he isn't growing. Yeah. I mean, not like you think he would be growing. Because, because I think it's part of the culture of the Bears. I mean, they just don't. I mean, you can look at four or five players around the league right now who are all pro caliber players who have come for, come through Chicago and they don't play here anymore. Why? Because the Bears won't pay them. The Bears, they just won't pay these guys. Like the guy that played the running back at Detroit, Montgomery. Yeah. That guy was that guy's one of the best running backs in the league. But he left, unceremoniously left. You've got Roquan left. You've got um, even guys like Leonard Floyd who played on the Rams championship team. You've got guys that come here, but they leave. And I think they leave because of the money. I don't want a dome. Mm. You don't want a dome. You no, want that want bear weather, huh? Yeah, uh, uh, monsters no. of the midway can't cannot play in a dome. And uh, but 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 <laughs> that's the, the problem. The monsters of the midway. That whole well, ethic. You know, I, I well, I you could you could you could. I mean, that the, playing in a dome or not playing in a dome has nothing to do with the quality of the product you put on the field in Arlington Heights, by the way, which is where this is going to go, which is where it has to go. And I know they're you know um, trying to placate BLM Brandon because of his uh, you know diligent efforts to try to keep them in the city, but it just makes too much sense to do a whole complex in Arlington Heights at the old Arlington Park, as we've talked about before, 
And you've got you can do uh, in Arlington Heights what uh, the Cubs did in in Wrigleyville and have a whole complex triple the value of the franchise just in time to sell it to Joe Ricketts when the matriarch passes, which is probably what's going to happen. I think. Yeah. The other thing too is where are you going to put it? Where are you going to put a Bear Stadium, Dome Stadium in Chicago? If the friends of the park went nuts over the Lucas Museum, what do you think they're going to do? Oh, about a dome stadium. It, even, even yeah, that's a good point. Even with uh, they even went uh, nuts, although they didn't stop it with the spaceship that they dropped into Soldier Field to expand seating and uh, and corporate boxes. You know, which is going to be Exhibit ago. A, which is going to be their Exhibit A on why you can't build something else that another monstrosity on the um, on the lakefront. I mean, what what are they going to do with the, with the spaceship? Are they well, going to save the columns? I mean, it, it's so complicated. Well, yeah, well, yeah, well right. It's a historic preservation, right? A historic landmark, of course, Soldier Field. Um, yeah, well, I mean, there's always, you know, you have uh, sports of the future, um, like, uh, you know, you put a bunch of pickleball courts there in uh, Soldier Field and uh, try and become a pickleball, uh, an epicenter of pickleball activity during the summer. Maybe maybe put a little tent over that so you can play pickleball in the winter. Um you know, you got your Chicago Fire. You know, also, by the way, I don't know if you saw this in the uh, NPR Times uh, state-run media. Uh, they had some renderings of the proposed new Comiskey Park uh, in South Loop, uh, that uh, 78 property right along the river. Did you see that? Yeah. I, you know, that, that to me also is a pipe dream. I live generally uh-huh. in that part of the city, uh-huh. and I'm telling you, I don't see how you're going to get people to the game. I mean, well, I just don't get it. I mean, Roosevelt Road, Canal, uh, Clark Street, those those are small streets com- uh, when you think about, you know, they're going to have to drive seven, eight blocks off the expressway to get there. I mean, well, I the other the other thing you point out, too, which I'm sort of categorically against is taxpayer funded stadiums and they're never a good deal for taxpayers. Um, and there's been a lot of research over the decades on this. Cato Institute studies, Reason Magazine's done some good reports on this as well. Um, so, and and I don't know how you build a new Comiskey Park solely with private money. And of course, the Bears are trying to extract, as you were saying before, um, tax concessions out of Arlington Heights. That may get done. I could see property tax relief being provided to the Bears, even though I'm opposed to that too. There's, there should be no uh, uh, rent-seeking or coddling of rent-seeking behavior by professional sports teams that are as flush as they are. You can finance it privately. You figure it out, just like any other business. Um, so that's my two cents on it. But I think you're right. That's going to be very interesting to see. But but the Bears, that's going to happen. Uh, how, how you know Again, how you build another Comiskey Park without Reinsdorf trying to shake down the state the way he did – uh, under Governor yeah. Jim Thompson, uh, you know, we're going to move to St. Petersburg or something like this. I, I just don't see how it gets done. I mean, there's just not the value of the franchise. There's probably not the interest. And the infrastructure work that has to be done on that 78 that area. site, yeah. that's going to be that's going to be huge money that somebody's going to have to come up with. And I don't think the White Sox are going to come up with that or the Bears. It's going to be me and the rest of the people who live in the city of Chicago 
They don't uh, have to come up with that. Well, right. And, and by the way, I mean, they look like beautiful sta- stadiums, the uh, renderings and so forth. By the time they're built, uh, there's not going to be very many residents of Chicago or certainly that can afford to go to the games. True that. So, <laughs> yeah, it won't really matter that much. Uh, text me four seven. No dome from the guy who won't come to Chicago until it's above 60 degrees. Just saying, look, I wouldn't go to a Bears game if it was 80 degrees. I mean, especially at Soldier Field because it's just such a hassle. I've I've been to all the Bears games in my life that I need to be to. I've supported all the Chicago sports franchises that I've needed to support. I'm I'm sort of out of that altogether for all kinds of reasons. Look, in in December, there are December days you could not pay me to go to a Bears game outside. No way. If we aren't sitting in the box, which I never have done or expect to do, I'm not going. I'm I've been not in the sitting boxes. outside. I've been in the boxes. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sitting outside fine. in 15-degree uh, weather. Yeah. Air weather is, uh, forget about it, man. Come on, with your shirt off and a big yeah, knee right. on your? Yeah, what, like, like Bear Man with like the, the, uh, the whole, uh, you know, battle regalia? Nope. Uh, text from 630, Chicago needs a domed migrant center on the lakefront. All right, well, that could you could repurpose Soldier Field that way, too, I suppose, uh, once McCormick Place is full up. Tony, south side. Hey, good morning, uh, Dan. Good morning. Um, you know, I wanted to point out that um, it, it's a no-brainer, right? You leave Soldier Field the way it is. Uh, you build out in Arlington. And then with all the migrants we have coming in from Venezuela, south, all over South America, Mexico, that could be the new international soccer league field. It's, it's easy. Easy. That's all. Thanks for the call, Sony. Yeah. Bill, northwest side. Yeah, another big concern as a fan is it needs to be in Arlington Heights for one really big reason, and not in Chicago, is if I'm going to a stadium in Chicago, how do I get there and get home without getting shot at? Yeah, well, there's uh, that issue, too. Uh, All right, Bill, since you're a fan, uh, keep Justin Fields, trade Justin Fields for another first-round pick. Keep him. The problem isn't Justin Fields. The problem is the offensive line. He spends Mm -hmm. half of his – every other play, he's running for his life. I think the I think the guy has a lot of talent. If you put him with the surround him with the right people, you're, he's good. You don't want to start all over again. He, thanks, he, for, thanks for the call, but sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Thanks for the call, but, Charles. Where where are you on that? Pay Justin Fields his hundred million dollars plus. Keep him. Well, he, he's going to come cheap. He can't he can't command oh, any money because he hasn't really oh, done anything yet. He hasn't really accomplished anything. So you're going to get a bargain basement. Good, not great, not great, but good quarterback for less money. Go take the money and get some players to put around him because he's in a unique position now. He cannot command Patrick Mahomes' kind of money or even Joe Burrow's kind of money. He can't well, not that, that not that kind that. of money, not that kind of money. But he's he's going to demand real money. I right. mean, I it will be a hundred million. Well, if he wants real money, then. Hey, he's got to go. But I, I think he, I think you can get him for a bargain basement All price right. for an NFL quarterback, and then you can build around him. But I, well, all right. Well, so now and now, and I don't want to turn this into sports radio, but we know as much as the sports radio guys on most of this stuff. So why not? Um, so uh, do you then uh, take Marvin Harrison number one, or do you still move the the number one pick to try and get more? picks in the first round because you have so many needs on the line, as Bill from the Northwest, Northwest side said, as, as well as, well, a deep threat um, like uh, 
Marvin Harrison and perhaps more, you know, more talent around around Justin Fields. Well, Marvin Harrison is supposed to be a generational kind of player, some Randy Moss kind of guy. I mean, yeah, I would take him number one. And keep in mind, you also have a number nine pick. So, well, I know, but pile them up. But you got you, there, there's there's more than there's more than two needs on uh, both sides of the ball, line and uh, skill positions, right? Well, we got skill position. If you get Marvin Harrison, I mean, you've got that. I mean, you, you've got uh, DJ Moore and Marvin Harrison, hmm. and you've got DJ Moore's a little long on the tooth. Yeah, well, that that's true. That's true. He's a little long on the tooth, but he's still he's still a you know a yeah you know a list possession receiver. receiver. So um, you know how many drops Marvin Harrison had in college? No. You know how many drops Marvin Harrison had? Ohio I, I don't State? know. Zero. Really. <laughs> I mean, that's, just inc- that's an incredible statistic. That is an incredible statistic. <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's. I, I think he's. He. I have much more confidence in what Marvin Harris is going to do at the next level than say Caleb Williams, who's yeah too busy exactly. doing Dr Pepper commercials. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you know, a lot of these guys, because Caleb Williams, I think, began at some other college and ended up at USC. What these guys are doing because of this transfer portal deal, they're picking their they're they're picking their shots in college to make themselves look the best they can because they can make money now in yeah, college. Right. And they can sort of design make themselves. Uh, and you can go to USC where you've got a, a system that's going to work for you as opposed to going to some other college and then, you know, maybe not being all that because the system doesn't necessarily work for you. And so you come out with these great statistics. It's like this kid at LSU. I never heard of this guy before he, you know, wins the Heisman Trophy because he sort of tailored himself into that job. I think I don't think he started his his college career at LSU, uh, and and a lot of these guys are doing that, and they look better than I think they might be, and and uh, and I could live to eat my words if Caleb Williams turns into the second coming of uh, yeah. Aaron Aaron Rodgers, but uh, you know I. I don't know. I think I would give – I'd stay with Justin Fields and build around him. He has these flashes, these flashes of, of a combination kind of like Lamar uh, Jackson and Patrick Mahomes kind of thing he can do. Yeah. And he'll, he'll, you know, same not, game, he'll look yeah. like – he just, he, I mean, the concern is that even when he has time, he doesn't make, I mean, one of the concerns is I understand it and have witnessed it is that he just, he doesn't make enough of the throws that he needs to make even when he does have time to throw. And so that, can he really amp his uh, performance with a little bit more consistent protection? I don't know. He holds the ball too long too. But anyway, uh, I want to get at one other uh uh, item in here because I know you know you're all gaga over the Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift thing. That's yeah. all you think about and talk about because you're a Chiefs fan. Um, but uh, <laughs> this, yeah, right. That's um, the one thing that gets up my last nerve. Mm, you're not you're not in love with America's man, first can, couple. I'm, I'm gonna tell you something, man, and I I probably will. I cannot name you one song that Taylor Swift sings. I can't. Well, I can't do it. Maybe that's because I'm an old fuddy dud who really doesn't buy any music after nineteen, made after 1980. Or because you're not a 13 year old girl. Whatever. Too. Yeah. But I, I, I yeah. mean, Taylor Swift. I'm sure she's a nice lady, but believe me, I don't have any Taylor Swift music. 
in my uh, collection, which again is all pre nineteen eighty music. But uh, um, yeah, I, I she doesn't do it for me, and and you know I not in any way. And Travis Kelsey, Kelsey man, the guy is a media giant right now. I mean, he's the guy. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. George Kittle's going to outperform him in the uh, Super Bowl on Sunday, and San Francisco's going to win. Um, but, but even though I, I just, I get, I, I just, I can't. Betting against Pat Mahomes is just um, is punishing. He's just, he just, he just finds a way. He's a winner. What, what can you say? But I did something on the Chiefs though, and Taylor Swift in particular. I was thinking about this the other day because I like. Uh, you know, fantasy politics, just like the next guy. So we've heard a lot about, oh, Biden, you know, who will replace Biden? Biden's going to get replaced. They, the the opaque, they, the unnamed they are going to switch him out and switch Michelle Obama in or Gavin Newsom in. I got it. I figured it out. You ready? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're talking about Taylor Swift being a psyop, the people that see black helicopters or just have too much time on their hands or are easily distracted. Uh, they're seeing Taylor Swift as a side. Oh, she's going to endorse Joe Biden. It's going to be the first couple uh, supporting uh, the first couple, and that's going to propel Joe Biden to victory. So, no, no, no. Taylor Swift will turn 35 on December 13th of this year. Really? Making her eligible to be the next president of the United States. Taylor Swift will will replace Joe Biden. How do you like that? Wouldn't that be something, man? (laughs) How do you like that? You think you can come up with conspiracy theories? I can. All right. Uh, one other thing on the Chiefs. This is some good news, too. Remember the story about that uh, that kid, nine-year-old kid, who was wearing the Chiefs garb at a game, and he had the Chiefs colors, half of his face painted black, half right, his face right, painted right. red? He was a, yeah. And he was attacked by Karen Phillips, this, the, a writer at Deadspin, with this absurd identitarian uh, um, right. you know, a, a diatribe against this nine-year-old, nine-year-old kid. kid. You know, Roger Goodell, where are you to, you know, to ban this nine-year-old kid from ever attending an NFL game and so forth? Well, finally, the the last the, the family's name is Armenta, and you you may remember it turns out that uh, they have uh, part of his heritage is Native American. Irony of ironies, of course it is. Um, the family's suing now. The family got finally got around to suing Deadspin, and I hope they assume that I'm out of existence. Yeah. You know, this this is. Um, uh, Nick Sandman Redux here. Right. And a lot of people said it at the time. They should sue for uh, libel, and they are now doing that for this uh, uh, absurd column and this use of of this nine year old as a scapegoat, so that people can you know prosecute their identitarian ramblings. So, but that they are suing. So, think um, Desmond can make that can pay that nut. Uh, no, but I think Deadspin's going to see a judgment probably commensurate with what Justin Fields will command to stay with the Bears. <laughs> well, Charles, no, Tom- Charles Thomas in for Amy, uh, Dan, and Charles, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's like a hot, steaming cup of information to start your day. It's Chicago's Morning Answer on AM 560, The Answer. America First with Sebastian Gorka. Weekday afternoons at 3 on AM 560. The answer. Top of the morning, Dan. And in for Amy is Charles Thomas, former ABC7 political reporter. Enjoying it. Enjoying it. 
Uh, enjoying having you, Charles. Uh, we had a fun little discussion about uh, sports and politics, but now we have to return to the heavy matter of public policy and national security. Um, the uh, Senate immigration bill failed yesterday, as anticipated, when Mitch McConnell walked away from it. The, the uh, bill that he sponsored through Jim Langford, his proxy on the matter. Yeah, he, yeah, Mitch McConnell, man, what a, what a pathetic old man. What yes, man. yes, it's uh, my, my, it's long overdue for leadership change in the Senate. That's no question and, about and I, that. But I'm not saying that this bill shouldn't have been killed. I mean, this bill needs to go away, right? Without a doubt, that's this uh, reporter's opinion. Absolutely, um, in complete agreement on that. But there's there's a you know there's this larger dynamic at play here. And um, you know, we've talked about it with respect to Cleta Mitchell's, the election attorney's uh, memo. We've been talking about that for the last couple of weeks now in terms of the uh, vulnerabilities at the state level because of federal statutes like the National Voter Registration Act for all the people who are in this country illegally to be turned into voters mm-hmm. come November. That's an issue. The issue, obviously, at the... Uh, sanctuary city and state level where the migrants have flocked or have been facilitated by Governors Abbott and DeSantis, to be certain, about prioritizing the interests of people in this country illegally over citizens of America. Um, This obviously is salient in Chicago. Give me an example, too, of the mentality you're dealing with here. And and in an interesting place, you wouldn't necessarily immediately think of. You think of urban metropolises and the states in which they're located. How about the state of Maine? Turns out um, uh, the state of Maine has a leftist governor named Janet Mills. They also have a state representative named Dika Dahalik, who's a Somali immigrant. Think Ilhan Omar. Mm-hmm. Uh Governor Janet Mills has opened an office of new Americans for the state of Maine. And um, there is a uh, there's there's pending legislation that would seek to attract 75,000 workers to the state of Maine over the next five years by integrating migrants into the workforce. This is pending legislation. And so there was a hearing on this. And uh, somebody queried that state representative, who's the Somali immigrant and former local mayor, I think, of South Portland, Maine, uh, on this topic. By the way, integrating people in this country illegally into the workforce. Um, This morning, we mentioned yesterday when uh, John Cass sat in, that the Illinois Department of Employment Security is doing the same thing. They've got a webinar this morning. Mm. Uh, who should attend? HR people, people make hiring decisions, people own companies. How to Im- integrate our new arrivals into the workforce? Well, what if they don't have work visas? Doesn't matter. We're in the integration business. So is the state of Maine. The question that was put to this Maine Democrat state legislator was the priority question. Take a listen to this exchange. What about the military folks that are getting out of the military? And they have to go through all the lines and start all over again, even though they have credentials. So my question, pretty simple, why would we fast track them and we won't do it for our own military? 
they have the advantage of speaking the language most of our military folks. So these folks that we're really working on may not have that. So it's going to be really difficult for them to say, yes, I used to be an uh, electrician in my country. I'm just using mine, which is Somalia. But that might not really fall into our laws that we have in this country. So uh, there you go. That's explaining why it is appropriate to prioritize non-citizens, many of whom are in this country illegally, to be certain, over veterans, people, American citizens who serve this country. Yeah, and, and, and you, you know, you also have to think about the uh, the businesses who would hire them. How much are they going to pay them, and who's who's going to work for how much? Um, I, you know, that's always in the back of the minds of people that that are, are tradesmen, for instance, uh, people who own their own construction company, and they're not bound by any union rule. Um, I mean, I've had that happen personally, uh, you know, with a painter, with painters. What will an immigrant painter, what will he charge, and what will a, an American-born citizen painter charge? That's yeah, very real. You need a state agency for the uh, immigrant uh, electrician who doesn't speak the language to communicate his skills. You have to set up a state agency. You have to have an office of resettlement. You have to allocate uh, these uh, resources, personal personnel and financial. You have to have uh, Democrat legislators out there explaining to you why veterans need to take a backseat to people in this country illegally or uh, on a pending asylum application, may or may not have a work visa. And this, 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 is, this is the um, proper posture of a state government? Well, it depends on who's, who's controlling the state government. Well, it certainly does. Yeah. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Cody Sargent. He's the comms director for Heritage Action. Cody, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So, I mean, it seems to me that um, sort of not, you know, the instances that are illustrative, the cops being beaten up in New York City, uh, the, you know, reporting that the 62 year old woman being dragged uh, on a moped in New York City, this uh, story that's uh, coming out of Maine, um, Ilan Omar's uh, speech that went viral where she talked about her a purpose as a legislator, as a member of Congress, is to represent the interests of Somali immigrants, um, not Americans, uh, Somalis here, legally or illegally. She doesn't distinguish, just like her party doesn't. It seems to me this is what is driving the revolt and which is uh, why the Langford-Schumer bill was DOA. Yes, I think you're right. Uh, I saw yesterday that MAGA Inc., the super PAC connected to the Trump campaign, has a new ad out that's entitled Joe Biden is giving America the middle finger, uh, showing a video of the Mm -hmm. immigrant in New York who beat up the police officer, was arrested, released without bail because of that city's progressive policing policies, and then threw up a double middle finger to the cameras uh, that were showing him walking away free. That's how Americans feel right now. I think we're at a breaking point, and I think um, your listeners in Chicago are seeing that more than a lot of people across the country, but we feel like we're being left behind and others are being prioritized. And, for example, this deal in the Senate, the lead negotiator on the Democrat side, Chris Murphy, said on MSNBC yesterday that – 
it was disappointing that the the bill fell apart um, because their strategy on immigration, quote, has failed to deliver for the people we care about the most, the undocumented Americans. Hmm. That is where their mind is at. That is what Mitch McConnell uh, tried to deputize James Lankford, who I think is a good man to negotiate with. How in the world could negotiating with someone with that mentality produce something that would work for the American people? Um, They produced a bill that would have incentivized more illegal immigration, made the border crisis worse, and then they dumped it out on a Sunday night at 8 o'clock during the Grammys because nothing says faith in your bill like dumping it out on a Sunday night. Um, The bill would have been a disaster for the border crisis, and I was very glad to see conservative senators stand up on Monday and pretty much uh, make it DOA in less than 24 hours in the Senate. Uh, So what are the chances that uh, this or something like it rears its ugly head again, or is Mitch McConnell in particular properly chastened by what has transpired? Well, I think the immigration section of this bill is pretty much dead for now. Uh, Today, the Senate will try to vote again on the rest of that uh, supplemental funding package, so money for Ukraine, Taiwan, uh, the Indo-Pacific, Israel. They will try to bring that back, and it's unsure if that will pass, but the immigration section has been stripped away, and I think it's dead in the Senate for now. Uh, What the Senate should do is take up a bill that would actually secure the border. H.R. 2, the Secure the Border Act, was passed in the House 250-plus days ago, and Chuck Schumer refuses to consider it. That's what they should be putting on the floor for a vote and letting senators go on the record voting on. Uh, They refuse to do that. So for now, it seems like the immigration section is dead in the Senate, uh, but we'll see what they do with the rest of this, uh, quote-unquote, national security funding. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, if they would uh, vote to authorize another $60 billion to Ukraine, I mean, that is going to be seen, at least by the base of the Republican Party, as um, green lighting what McConnell ultimately all, only cared about, what he really wanted. And it, all of that now, uh, even to some extent the aid to Israel uh, and Taiwan, although there's much less antagonism there, it's all seen as fruit of the poisonous Senate immigration bill. Yes, I think you're probably right. And we Heritage, uh, the Heritage Foundation and Heritage Action have been sounding the alarm about this foreign aid package since before the immigration deal was a part of it. Uh, we've issued what we call a key vote to warn legislators that this is our most important priority, um, urging them to vote no on the package with the immigration deal and without the immigration deal. The package as it stands right now uh, is still nearly $100 billion in deficit spending that we do not have, so more money on our national credit card, that would all go overseas, including $60 billion more for Ukraine, as you mentioned, in unaccountable funding. Uh, This is coming weeks after reporting that Ukrainian officials stole $40 million in American cash that we we sent over there. Um, So this bill, as it stands now, um, is still unacceptable to conservatives, and we've been saying that for months. Uh, When we started raising the alarm back in December about this aid, that's when they cooked up their plan uh, to add an immigration component that turned out to be a meaningless bait and switch. So they lost yesterday, and we're hopeful that they'll lose again today uh, for failing to put uh, Americans first 
And we're really glad to see finally conservative senators standing up and making sure that everyday Americans are heard in this process and not allowing the Uniparty to run all over us like they have been doing for years. Cody Sargent, he's the comms director for Heritage Action. Cody, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. And he joined us on the Turnkey.pro answer line. Listen to podcast of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan, and in for Amy this morning, Charles Thomas, former ABC7 political reporter, radio talk show host. That's me. Uh, Charles, I am seeing reporting now. Oh, the Chicago media. <laughs> Insert your own joke there. Uh, parents are apparently scrambling with respect to educational options for their kids at least those parents whose kids were on scholarship thanks to the tax credit scholarship program. But since Governor Pritzker and the political ruling class in Illinois has ended that program, now parents are scrambling. Boy, who could have foreseen that? Yeah, well, um, think about how parents are scrambling here in the city of Chicago where Mayor Brandon Johnson, who less than a year ago was a paid organizer for the Chicago Teachers Union, the city now trying to close the so-called selective enrollment schools in Chicago. Yes, the right, a movement is underway. I mean, so those parents are scrambling as well. This anything, is a crazy, crazy time we live in. Anything that um, presents competition to the government school system must be extinguished. There's right. no question. Um, also, we have schools closing. Um, Elgin Academy, 185 years. Uh, St. Francis of Rome and Cicero. Uh, and... Um, and some Catholic schools that um, have interesting partnerships to keep the doors open. One of them profiled on Fox Chicago. Uh, Holy Family, uh, the school is uh, Home and Square neighborhood. Mm-hmm. West um, you know, you got to be creative when you don't have arch support, when you don't have your tax credit scholarship program. And you, and you the, have a mayor and a governor who are sitting back and letting it happen. No sensitivity whatsoever to those people, most of whom voted for these people. And it, most it, of, it, it's mind-boggling. Right. And most of whom, uh, well, and the, and, the, and the people they voted for, most of whom send their kids to private school. Oh, uh, absolutely. Well, enter the Hooters girls, Charles. Hooters and Holy Family. Well, good morning. It's the Wings for the Kids program, and what a boost it gives the kids here at Holy Family Ministry School. It helps pay for classroom supplies, tuition, technical supplies, and more. All you have to do is eat wings any Tuesday this month, and a third of the profits go to the school. It was started back in the 90s, and they're closing in on a million dollars. And nobody knows that better than the CEO, who I'm going to introduce you to now, of Holy Family Ministries. This is Cheryl Collins, and she is standing alongside Kevin Scott, who's a sixth grader. But let me start with you, Ms. Collins, and tell me what kind of a boost that close to million dollars has made here. Oh, you have no idea. It's just been amazing. Every year we get a check from Hooters, which allows us to buy technology tools for the students, books and textbooks, 
even opportunities for field trips for the children. Oh, wow. So we're really grateful for this partnership. And it allows guys to go to Hooters and say, honey, I'm doing it for the kids. Hooters. The <laughs> Hooters and Holy Family. Yeah. Come on, man. Come on, man. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah, well, um, uh, Kevin is uh, one of the lucky sixth graders who got to interact with the Hooters girls because they were on site for this uh, little uh, media pop. Take a listen. Right. And it also, I see that the Hooters girls come by and interact with the kids. Mm-hmm. I heard about the reading program. Uh, what a nice thing, huh? It's excellent. They come in and they volunteer for Read Across America Day. They come in and volunteer throughout the year for various events. They've even come to judge science fairs for our kids. So it's great having them here. And the children just love them when they're present. Uh I bet. Do they come in uniform? Wait a minute. Where where did you get that audio from? It's Fox Chicago. It's a Fox Chicago story. Oh, my God. (laughs) I mean, by the way, I just have a question. On the reading program, are the Holy Family sixth graders teaching the Hooters girls to read, or is it the other way around? (laughs) Uh, lucky sixth grader Kevin Scott uh, was asked for his comments. Uh, he's a little shy, but uh, um, but very savvy in terms of how he handled this. Uh, Kevin, what do you think of this program? The Hooters girls come and help you out with your reading and whatnot. Um, I think that it uh, is really good um, how the Hooters girls come and support um, us and how helping us with our education and things like that and all the money that they have donated. Have you ever tried a Hooters chicken wing? No. Well, we have to change that. Excuse me, ladies. (laughs) Can you bring some wings? Now, they actually uh, do have a little wing party with the the teachers. Is that right? Yeah. Every Christmas, they supply our food for our our Christmas party for our staff. And even throughout the year, if we ask for anything, they're always there to help us. It really boosts the morale for the team to have uh, Hooters food because who doesn't like a chicken wing? Hey, man, this is an archdiocese school. Yes. It is? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Say a prayer for the Chicago Archdiocese. Oh uh, uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I mean I'm, I'm, I'm persuaded uh, for the, the Hooters philanthropy. I mean, hey, you know, somebody's stepping in. You're not going to get it from your elected officials. Um, for uh, more on this topic, I know it's a bit of a... Strange segue, I grant you that, but uh, I had to get that story in just because here's where things are at in Chicago. Uh, We're pleased to be joined by Keisha King. She's a homeschool mom of two daughters. She's the founder of the Mass Exodus Movement that aims to get children into better learning environments. She's also the host of the eponymous Keisha King Show. Keisha King, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, So uh, you... um, been in contact with Hooters at all to develop uh, your mass exodus movement program? You know, they did not make the list of one of our resources. (laughs) All right. Well, tell us, uh, tell us, uh, uh, you're a homeschool mom of two daughters. There had to be a moment where you decided to be a homeschool mom, uh, I'm guessing. And I I don't know if that was, well, I actually do know, but uh, that was not because you had a uh, a, a disposition against government schools at the outset of your kids' education. It was because of something that occurred, yes? Correct. So I started seeing all the critical race theory and the gender ideology in the schools, and the tipping point for me was when uh, the government told parents that we were domestic terrorists and actually had a threat tag, an FBI threat tag against us, and it just made <laughs> me realize, oh, my goodness, 
they really don't want us to protect our children. <laughs> and so uh, that was the straw for me. And I said, uh, no more. I pulled my children out. And they have been thriving so wonderfully. It's just been incredible. Sorry to interrupt, but how old were your kids oh, yeah. when that happened? You made the decision. Uh, 15 and 13. Okay. Yes. My oldest was 15. Yeah. And 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 then so go on. So that so they've been thriving and go on. I'm sorry. Oh my goodness! They have you know they they have a they are so self motivated to learn now. They um, are they've become extremely just much more responsible, much more accountable, and that just comes with you know um, things that I had already was instilling into them uh, prior to this, but. Um, you know, just that last bit of getting them out of these, I call them indoctrination camps, uh, you know, pulling them out of, of these places, it just brought my children back to themselves. It was it was amazing. And the bond that we have now, um, you know, it's just been incredible. And so, you know, I know that there are parents who can't pull their children out, and there are, you know, states that don't have the option of, you know, a school choice or vouchers and things like that. So I created a course for parents so they can learn how to stop the indoctrination and, and get their children back to them while they are still in these schools. Miss Miss King, uh, this is Charles Thomas. I got a question. How do you get your message out? Can you talk about the challenges you have in getting your message to people, particularly in a place like Chicago, to tell them that school choice is not the, the monstrosity that uh, CTU says it is? Hmm. It's really tough because most parents who don't see it right away, they they think, and this is all over, you know, they think it happens, like they'll hear something about critical race theory or, you know, a, a DEI program or a, you know, gender, some, a child's gender being hidden from their parents. And they'll think it happened in that one time at that one place, but it's not really, you know, it's just that an isolated incident. So most parents struggle with understanding that these government schools are connected with federal government programs in many times. And there are, I mean, there are local uh, programs and grants and, and uh, contractors that come in to push this agenda. And they don't understand that it is, it has been a, uh, mass movement for for quite some time now. And the, the hardest thing about it is getting them to understand that the child, your their own child is not coming home and telling them these things because they they don't even have the words to articulate it. You know, the, it, it is so woven, masterfully woven into curriculum, masterfully just common acceptance that your child, they don't even recognize that it's something wrong. They've been seeding this, you know, for so long. And they, you know, most kids don't even know to come home and say, oh, mom and dad, this was weird. <laughs> you know, so by the time a parent actually finds out about it, it's a lot of, you know, it can be too late, you know, many times. So it's, it is tough. Yeah, I know I have a problem believing that parents don't want control of what their kids are learning. That mm-hmm. I, I got to believe that, hey, if you have school choice, you've got control again. We're restoring control to you. Don't you want that? And they sort of look at you with a blank look on their face as though. Yeah. You know what's fascinating to me? So I, I, 
I listen to a lot of, you know, teacher behind the scenes stuff and you'll hear teachers in the classroom say, you know, your parents are, you know, they, they're old and outdated. They're traditional, you know, like listen to us, like we're the experts. And then parents turn around and say, listen to your teacher. So here we have, we have parents saying, listen to your teacher in the classroom. The child is being told not to listen to their parents. And so when parents are like, they're trying to understand why they are struggling to connect with their children, why they are struggling to, uh, you know, for their child to listen to them and, and, and their child to, you know, continue on with the values that they have instilled with, within them and they find them going astray. And it's, you know, it, many times a lot of the messaging that we are, the, and the, mis- the confusion uh, communication that we're having with our children because parents don't really understand the system that they're sending their children to. They, there's still a romanticized view of the mass compulsory schooling system, and we need to recognize it for what it is. And that is another difficult part to get parents to understand. That is such an important point. I mean, that is so uh, 100% on the mark that they have the romanticized view. That's a great way to describe it. And it just, and so they almost can't bring themselves to even look. I hope this is, I can't, what I, what this, like you were saying, the story I heard somewhere else, well, that's not going on in my school. And you know what? If it is, I refuse to look at it because I can't bring myself to then take the necessary steps if it is going on in my school. Let me give you an example of this too, just in terms of, you talk about the system they don't know what they're dealing with and the mentality of the system's overlords. They don't appreciate what they're dealing with. This is in the state of Indiana. This is legislation that was sponsored by a Democrat from Gary, Indiana. Now, this isn't going to go anywhere because of the political uh, distribution of power in Indiana state government, but it gives, still gives you an insight into the thinking here. This kind of stuff does go place, does go uh, somewhere in places like Chicago and Illinois and other states that are governed by the teachers unions effectively. This is legislation from Vernon Smith, who's a Democrat state rep in Indiana. An employer staff member of a school or third-party vendor used by a school to provide instruction may not provide instruction, may not provide, to a student in kindergarten through K through 12, in kindergarten through grade 12, concerning the following. Christopher Columbus. A president of the United States who owned an enslaved person. That's a quarter of our presidents, by the way, uh, roughly 12 out of 45, 46. Instruction concerning a person described in these earlier sections, the institution of slavery, the harmful effects of colonialism, or the decimation of indigenous populations throughout the world, may not provide instruction. Uh, an employee or staff member of school, third-party vendor, you, you have to hew to this curriculum that we set up. You may not address any of these topics other than the way it has been dictated to you by who, by who, by the teachers unions or by, and the politicians they own. This is what's this is this is what you're actually dealing with uh, in these huge in these K through 12 government systems, not just the big urban centers, but also these suburban districts, too, that are supposed to be so different than the schools in the urban centers. And they're not. That is wild to me that I mean, that's literally keeping education from children like like that's literally what you're supposed to be doing <laughs> like you know like that's where your tax dollars are going 
to educate the children. They're saying we're not, they're blatantly saying we're not going to educate the children, and we want you to be okay with that. I mean, they can't get, I don't think the schools, the schooling system can get more blatant and direct about what they believe and what they want. I mean, they've pretty, they've laid it out pretty clearly. You know, I don't know. They're, they're not hiding it. They are saying we are going to push uh, the gender ideology. We're going to, you know, keep the, this information from parents. They're saying we're going to push this idea that, you know, we're going to judge you by what you look like. So if you're black, you know, you fit in this box. And, you know, despite your history, your family history or whatever, you know, we are telling you exactly uh, what what we believe America is and what the history is. And if we don't uh, think that this information is, is pertinent according to our standards by the experts, we will keep this from your child. I mean, how, how are children supposed to learn with only one narrative, one view, but there's nothing to compare that to. This is mind-blowing to me. Like, that, that is insanity. It's the total opposite of education. Um, you've got this Parents' Guide to Stop Ind- Indoctrination workshop that you do, um, and obviously you've got your show and this mass exodus movement. Um, as you're helping parents who um, come to recognize what's going on and say, I need to make a decision like you made, uh, Keisha King, um, and then they make that decision. I assume you stay in touch with them. I've seen some of the testimonials on your website. Um, what, what is the, the most common pitfall or the most common challenge you hear from parents who made the decision that you made for your kids? Probably uh, parents thinking that they can't do it, that they don't have the skills to teach their own children. And, you know, it is that is not true. You know, I am a Christian. And I do believe that God has given us, you know, as parents, when we when we have the gift of children, we also come with the ability to teach our own children. You you really do. We've just again become romanticized with the system in thinking that them in a certain way. No, we don't have to teach them in that way. They, children can learn. Children are not one. You know they. They can learn in many different ways, and most children benefit from, you know, a more uh, customized uh, learning environment. And school is a one-size-fits-all, and so many kids fall through the cracks, and they they end up hating school, and then we associate schooling with education, and they're just two totally different things. But that's the main thing that kids feel, parents feel like they can't do it, and I'm here to tell you that you can, you absolutely can. She is Keisha King, homeschool mom of two daughters, founder of the Mass Exodus Movement that aims to get children into better learning environments, host of the eponymous Keisha King Show. And again, she has the uh, Parents' Guide to Stop Indoctrination workshop that uh, you should check out. Keisha, where can people get more information about that and your uh, Mass Exodus Movement project? Yes, they go to massexodusmovement.com. It's the first link there. Sign up. We have a a workshop coming up on the 15th, February 15th. So I'm excited about it. Very good. Keisha King, thanks Thanks so much for joining us. Pleasure. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And she joined us on the Turnkey.pro Answer Line. There's only one radio show in Chicago talking about today's biggest stories and telling you what they really mean. That show is this one. Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. 
Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and in for Amy this morning, Charles Thomas, former ABC7 political reporter and radio talk show host. Good morning. Well, Charles, uh, we've got another uh, attack in uh, the greater New York City area, this in uh, Long Island, that was captured on Ring Video. And um, it really speaks to uh, what we saw with the individuals responsible for attacking those New York City police officers and giving America the bird that the Trump campaign has already turned into a a new spot. Um, Something... uh, Somewhat similar happened here. Uh, this is by a person in this country illegally wandering around Long Island. And um, Kaylee McEnany uh, narrates the ring camera footage for us. This video doorbell footage shows a migrant stealing a pro-Israel flag from a Jewish family's Long Island home. And one of the members of this family, by the way, lost a relative in the October 7th terrorist attack by Hamas. And there you see this individual taking that pro-Israel flag. That homeowner rushed to get his flag back, but the migrant immediately began punching him in the head. You see it there. Put him in a chokehold, headbutted him at least once. That's all according to the homeowner and threw him to the ground. That migrant has been arrested and charged with a hate crime. Authorities say he's a Palestinian from North Africa. That's how he self-described. And he got into the U.S. illegally from Mexico back in November. At one point, the attacker repeated anti-Semitic slurs and was caught flipping the bird to a camera. That's becoming somewhat of a trend among these criminals. It was just like the migrant accused of attacking two NYPD officers. What an image. What an image. Maybe that's that's the uh, the indelible image that will frame this campaign. Uh, the Uh, choice between political leaders who welcome people into this country, that uh, despise this country, that have no respect for the rule of law, that do not intend to do good, versus those who don't want to allow people uh, people with that disposition to enter this country illegally or to have some uh, sort of phony asylum claim pending that allows them to quasi-legally roam around places like Long Island. This has evolved into the major issue at this point in the uh, 2024 campaign. And, you know, I, I wonder about, you know, if if I'm a consultant and I'm telling the Republican Party, let the Democrats and Joe Biden stew in their own juices for a while. I don't you know, do, do, do you want this resolved by some act of Congress so that Joe Biden can go on the campaign trail and say that, well, we got that taken care of. Uh, no. You well, as him. we well as we saw with from what the Senate cooked up, this isn't going to be resolved by an act of Congress, even if uh, some Republicans and some Democrats agree on what they agreed on. That doesn't solve what what was proposed by Langford and, and by McConnell, by extension, and Schumer. That doesn't solve this. So, an act of Congress that you don't have the Congress to uh, advance such an act. That's the reality. And, you know, the nerve of this guy to try to, to, for something to be done about this eight months before the election. I mean, come on. Right. After, 
Seven so you can, you can, you know, right, declare victory, take it off right. the table, and right. hope people and stop paying attention. It's got to be on the table, man. This, this election is way too important uh, for this. They, and I really have no confidence in the attention span of the American voters. Sorry about to say, to say it, no. but I don't. And no. if you would somehow, quote, unquote, resolve the issue now, and it's not an issue by summer, oh, man. I, I think it's sort of a fait accompli at this point, just because there are so many people that have been allowed to enter the country and move about freely, many of whom don't intend to do this country or its citizens or its uh, other residents any good. And so you're going to have more stories like those coming out of New York and Chicago and elsewhere. And it's it's not going to go away because it won't go away when you don't distinguish between people that are inclined to be law abiding uh, as evidenced by following the law to enter this country uh, from those who are uh, proxies for the cartels or uh, major gang operations in foreign countries like MS-13 or Trend de Aragua, then you're going to these stories are not going to stop. For more on this, we're pleased to be joined by Joy Pullman, executive editor of The Federalist, Federalist.com. Joy, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to talk with you again. Good morning. Um, so you put together a little uh, questionnaire, a little cheat sheet for uh, voters, uh, helping them with that attention span issue that Charles was talking about. 20 questions to ask Republican candidates in your state. Um, the, the, after reading the piece, I, I, I think you can sort of categorize them. I mean, it's largely... Uh-huh. It's largely really, are you a proponent of identity politics or are you a proponent of equal justice under the law? I mean, that that covers a lot of those questions, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, that is one of the perhaps the major issue that is uh, provoking a constitutional crisis right now across the United States. And as you point out, it applies to so many different policy domains, you know, from immigration, like you folks were just talking about here you know, the idea of having no border is predicated on the fact that uh, there is no such thing as a national identity and that there is no such thing as the rule of law and that we have to let identity politics as defined by anybody who isn't white get special privileges <laughs> over, you know, people who are native born regardless of what they look like. That's the application of identity politics to the border right there. And it is uh, the end of the rule of law. Um, and then, you know, you can, like you said, you can apply that. Of course, everyone's aware of the identity politics, the Marxism affecting education, that those are largely the institutions that have uh, accelerated, you know, the decline of American institutions and law. So asking, you know, so you're right, it's a really good litmus test to kind of ascertain whether your politician will be um, swayed by basically the shaming of people, you know, they're, uh, whether they're still afraid of false charges of racism or hating women or any other kind of, you know, victim group, or whether they say, no, we should apply, you know, the law and our customs and our policies equally to all people, no matter what they look like. And, um, you know, there's absolute differences between people's sexual behavior, the race that they're born with, and the fact that the sexes do have differences that do matter for both law and things like you know, should men be in women's dressing rooms? So the real question is here whether candidates support the rule of law as reflecting reality and outside authority to all of us that we respect, or whether they ultimately believe that there is no authority but them, and that leads to the chaos that we see in every domain of American life today. 
Yeah, and and you know it's something too that needs to be like uh, followed up with, uh, and you're not going to fall prey to it. So you're going to be a relentless messenger against the poison that is identity politics. So because, for example, you see this all the time in the Republican Party. Nikki Haley has been a good example on the campaign trail of late, uh, which is, you know, she's an opponent of wokeism. She's an opponent of identity politics and and so on and so forth. But then. Yeah, well, right. But I mean, that's the that's the sort of official position she takes. But then she's out doing the, you know, uh, as a brown girl in South Carolina routine and this and this and and as a woman. And, you know, yes, she can. And, 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 you know, speaking in the parlance of Hillary Clinton. So, you know, you can't really be a honest broker on the issue if you're saying one thing and doing another. That's absolutely right. You know, so she's willing to use identity politics when she thinks it will advantage her. And she's speaking to voters, right? She wants to attract voters who, you know, go on the identity politics anti-Constitution model, right? Well, while we need to have at least one party in this country, I mean, I wish it was all parties, right? And it used to be who accepted the fact that there are supreme laws. There is you know, a national contracting covenant that we bind ourselves to and that we reflect them as you know, our supreme law and governance of our life. But we don't have that anymore. We need at least one party who says, um, look, you know, the Constitution, the 14th Amendment, as well as the other provisions, you know, they apply the law equally to all people, regardless of station. They don't preference, for example, the rich against the poor. And we, we have lots of systems in this country. I think that is the real divide, you know, that our country is becoming an oligarchy that's preferencing, you know, the wealthy and the people who basically use not honest, you know, means of getting money, not work offering, uh, you know, something better to people that they freely can choose on, on an open market, but rather coercing people, manipulating them, locking them into monopolies and so forth. That's the real divide in our country. And they're using identity politics to uh, basically distract everybody from the fact that no matter what people look like, they use money as a weapon to steal our rights. There's this uh, uh, Gallup polling out uh, recently. There's a, c- a couple of uh, different uh, polls out recently. Uh, one shows uh, Biden uh, seeing significant attrition in black and Latino voters, down 20 points among black voters as compared to uh, his run in 2020, which is interesting. Um, and then there was another poll about young people and how the divide between men and women is growing wider uh, in mm-hmm. Generation Z, you know, and we already know it's mm-hmm. wide. I mean, basically, the base of the of the Democrat Party, it's often talked about minorities, and it is, but the, it was missing something bigger. It's really single women. Single women is the demographic that the Democrats dominate, and it provides, um, you know, it, and it, it provides their base of support, and it informs their policy choices, because, of course, it cuts across demographics. And so... I just wonder, like the Republican Party is always thinking about identity politics, messaging based on how do we attract more Latinos? How do we attract more blacks? How do we attract more Asians of particular ethnicities? Um, But what about this larger uh, men, women and married women, single women conversation? I think a lot of Republicans are uncomfortable having that discussion about family. I mean, Republicans seem to be uncomfortable having almost any discussion openly. You know, they are. That's another (laughs) problem with. The identity politics, right, it boxes them into talking about nothing, right? And then that's completely unattractive to voters. We have to be having these tough conversations about race, about, you know, the sexes, about marriage, about family, because those are fundamentally at at root of what is the division in this country, as you point out. And so, I mean, you're right. 
that I, I absolutely think that Republicans and conservatives should be making efforts to reach out to people who traditionally they have discounted. Because yes. as Trump yes. showed in 2016, absolutely, there is a lot of, you know, those people haven't been reached out to and been, they frankly haven't, you know, gotten messages from conservatives for so long. So that what what that does is leaves things on the table, right? If they haven't heard your message, you don't know if they, if some, at least some people might be susceptible to listening to it. So I think absolutely outreach, you know, to different uh, ethnic, racial groups, and as well as single women, all these groups should be absolutely happening because, you know, the corporate media, the internet is so locked down with censorship to prevent these discussions that many times people haven't heard those messages and they would be persuaded by them. So that work needs to be be done absolutely. But talking about the single ladies issue, I mean, you're right. I've, I've written about some of this, and I think it's very interesting that you know what is what makes women unhappy is what gives Democrats political power. So they have a vested hmm. interest in making women unhappy. And I mean, I'm you know speaking as a woman, a wife, as a mother. Before I got married and had kids, kind of surprisingly, <laughs> I didn't know how fulfilling and delightful that it would be. But you know, there. But it is absolutely true, and this is borne out by all kinds of social science that women are happy when they are married and they have children. I mean, their happiness rates just are, are unparalleled by any other kind of arrangement in a woman's life. So if you take that away from women by messaging to them that they need to act like men, that their value is found in you know being a boss lady in the workplace and basically sacrificing um, the worth that women offer in our communities, in our relationships, of doing that work, of building human hearts, you know, of nurturing children, um, and, and absolutely, if you take away, you know, the understanding in, in, in schools and culture about how much women as women offer to our society by doing what we're so good at with relationships and families, then what you're doing is, you know, you're basically exploiting women, keeping them unhappy, um, childless, you know, alone in their old age and, and making them unhappy on purpose so that you can weaponize them for votes. So I think that's despicable. And, you know, again, that's another area where, you know, right now I know it's, it's touchy to talk about what people do with their lives and their career and their kid choices. Right. But we have to be talking about that because I frankly don't I want, you know, more women to be happy in their lives, regardless of how it affects their vote, because I care about them because they're fellow Americans. So we have to be having these conversations. And it's kind of sad that the only people who will talk about it is conservatives. Um, you know, because because, again, you know, we are uh, what's less important to us than the vote <laughs> is uh, is the happiness of our fellow Americans and the peace that we have and the, and the homes that we have and the stability in our society. And um, and so that conversation has to be brought to the fore. And it's often impeded by ideology that, again, gives Democrats power, um, you know, such as the version of feminism that says women are only valuable if they act like men. Joy Pullman, executive editor of The Federalist, Federalist.com. Joy, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. And she joined us on the Turnkey.pro answer line. This is The Morning Show. More Chicago radio listeners are choosing. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.